Anyhow, I believe that over the past few years, the image of the Jewish people and our community has taken a hit. Whether it's the story two years ago of um, Bernie Madoff, or if it was the story last summer, a year and a half ago, that took place in our community, or there was a story that happened this past summer from a very religious, close-to-us community where people were caught or people were taken in. And I think it sort of created for us an image of a people that maybe you have to be careful from or a people... You have to beware from, beware of. And maybe it's not an image that is one that we would like to have. And so what we're going to talk about today, try to talk, is how to change that perception. Now, there's some of you, or there's even a part of me that said, you know, maybe that's really a question that's not really for us. Maybe it's for big leaders or very powerful people to be able to solve. Not necessarily is it something that us, the common person, maybe is really not in our hands to take care of. So to address that, I'd like to tell you a story of the Hafez Chaim. And believe it or not, the Hafez Chaim said this about himself, and I don't know if it applies really well to him, but it does apply to us. The Hafez Chaim was once speaking to a group of leaders. Chavez Chaim lived about a hundred years ago and he was one of the greatest people of his time. But he said, I don't know if I'm worthy really to speak to you. And I don't know if I'm worthy to direct you and guide you. He said, but let me tell you, there was once a man and the man had a person who was working for him. He had a servant or a simple man who was working for him. And one day he told the man, can you do me a favor and go to the well and get me a cup of water? So the man went to the well and he drew a cup of water. He comes back to the master and the master looks at the cup of water and he says, this is the cup you got me, it's dirty, it's got things in it, it's, you know, I can't drink this water. He says, okay, so what do you want me to do? He says, when you go to the well to get water, I want you to clean out the water and sift it out, and here's the whole process of how to clean out the water, and you put it through a few things until you make it purify the water that is worthy for it to be used. Okay, no problem. So for the next day, the master asked the servant, go, could you do me a favor, get me a cup of water? And sure enough, he went to get a cup of water, and he sifted it, and he purified it, and he spent a half hour working it out perfect, beautiful. Every day, the master, go, can you get me a cup of water? He comes back with a cup of water, sifted, beautiful, purified, great. A few weeks later, there's a fire in the master's house. So the master tells his servant, you do me a favor, go get water. So the servant goes running to go get water. And he stands by the well and he starts sifting it and he starts perfecting it and purifying it. By the time he comes back home, the whole house is burnt down. The Havaz Chaim said, he said, you know, years back, 
in order to really take care of a problem, you need pure water. You need people, the leaders that were really pure, that really can direct, that were really appropriate. He says, now we have a fire. When there's a fire, you don't check the water, you can't perfect the water. Any water will do. And the same thing is true is that now, over the past few years, we've had a fire. We've had one story after another, at least it feels this way, of things and events that have happened that have hurt us. And yes, we could say, let's wait for some high and powerful leader to come along and take care of the problem. But when there's a fire, you don't wait for the purest water. When there's a fire, any cup of water will do. So all of us can have that responsibility. All of us can, if we care about it, think about it, and work on it, can be people that can help to put out that fire. This week's parasha is the parashat Vayeshev. Parashat Vayeshev is a story of Yosef and his brothers. There's plenty of seats in the front, if you'd like. There's plenty of seats in the front. We don't need extra chairs over here, over here. This is a really rough seat in front of the uh, pole right here. Okay. So Yosef comes down to Egypt. He's sold by his brothers. His ten brothers sell him. He goes down to Egypt. And we're not going to discuss today, I mean this parasha we could give five classes on, but we're not going to discuss today the sale and the thought process of the sale. We're going to discuss what takes place in the middle of the parasha. Yosef arrives, he's sold down to Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the officers, one of the high-ranking people in Egypt, and he's sold to his house as a servant. And the Pasuk says that Yosef was very successful in the house of Potiphar, and slowly he started to succeed, he started to grow, until the master of the home made Yosef the ruler and powerful over all his belongings. Here's this young kid who's about 17 when he was, so was 17 when he was sold, so he's not that much older than it. And in a short amount of time, this boy becomes in charge of this man's entire house. He trusts him with all his estate. Everything is trusted. And this boy who we never saw, doesn't know his background, doesn't know anything about him, this young little boy. So the commentaries ask two questions. Number one, how did Yosef gain that kind of trust so fast? Some say it took only a year for Yosef to go from being on the bottom to being on the top. How do you give someone the keys to everything you own, all your money, everything you have in a year? What did he do to gain that trust? And the Pasuk, when it's describing Yosef, says it in a little bit of a, seems to be extra way. Vayehi Hashem et Yosef. God was with Yosef. Vayehi ish masliach. And he was successful. Vayehi bevet Adonav ha-Mitzri. And he was in the house of his master, the Mitzri. What word seems to be said over and over again? Vayehi. Vayehi, Vayehi, Vayehi. And he was, and he was, and he was. Why does it keep telling us, and he was, and he was, and he was? Why does it say it so many times? So the commentary, the Kitab Sofer, says Yosef possessed something that was very unique. He possessed something that 
made you easily realize that he deserved and would belong to be a leader, and he possessed something that would make it easy for you to hand over everything you had to him. And that is he possessed poise. Yosef, no matter what he was going through, no matter what the situation was, he was poised. He was controlled. He was focused. He had his stature remained. Yosef was a man who was, you can tell, did not get ruffled, did not get worked up. And he's going to show it to us in the Pesukim. So if Yosef, something good was happening, or something bad was happening, something scary was happening, something enticing was happening, Yosef would remain the same. Yosef had that characteristic that he was poised. How did he have this? I'll tell you the truth. If you ask me, I, what I'm jealous of, I'm not really jealous of people that have more money. I mean, I wouldn't mind anymore, but... But I'm not really jealous of that, or people that has a nicer house. I'm not. The one thing that I'm jealous of is people that are able to have this. People that you can see them, and no matter what's going on in their life, or things seem to be harried, and they're good. You know these kind of people? I look at them, I get like angry, I get so jealous. Come on, well, how do you do that? And most of us are not really like this. Most of us are not really like this. You like this? You're not, no, they're not really like this. And the truth is, how is a person able to be this way? The Kitab Sofer says, you can see it right in the Pasuk. Pasuk says, Vayihi Hashem Ito, Ki Hashem Ito. He saw that God was with him. He saw that Yosef was a man who was living with God. Yosef was a man who didn't answer to what was happening in front of him. He answered to something higher. He answered to something greater. He was responsible to something more. Like I said, most of us are not. Most of us are taken by the moment. You want to see how much of us are do like this? When I first came to Brooklyn, you know, there was something I wasn't used to. Because I used to be a deal boy. And deal, when you wanted to get someplace, you drove there. Got in your car, and you drove the car. In Brooklyn, people don't drive. They just stop. And what I mean is you could drive on King's Highway, and in the middle of someone, the guy in front of you just decides... He's stopping. He doesn't have to tell you why. He doesn't have to tell you what the reason. It could be he has a parking spot. could be he doesn't. could be he just wants to send a text. No explanation needed. He just stops. It happens every day. I tell you, you sit on King's Highway every single day. You just see a guy, there's 45 cars behind him. He stopped. And he, why? Because he wants to see if down each fourth there's a parking spot. He sees it's a pump. He keeps going. But until then, he just waits and he stops. Look at the cars behind when that person stops for 20 seconds, especially if they see that the green light is turning yellow ahead of them. Watch what happens. People start yelling. People start honking horns. People start getting agitated and nervous and angry. It's two seconds. It's three minutes. Most of us don't have this poise. Most of us are not able to be above the situation, above the temptation, above the frustration. Yourself had that. That you could tell that Hashem was Imor. What does it mean Hashem was Imor? That he was busy with Hashem. He doesn't answer to what's happening right here, right now. He answers to something greater. That's how you develop poise. That's how you develop that ability to be able, that you can tell, that you can see, 
that you're not just taken by the moment. And that's why the Pasuk says, Vayehi and Vayehi and Vayehi. That Hashem was with him. That Vayehi means he was. And then he was and he was. Through the whole situation, as the success kept growing, he was the same person. The same Yosef, the same kid who had no responsibilities, was the same person when he was controlling the whole house. And as the master saw that as he rose, he remained the same, he kept trusting him with more because he could see that he doesn't, he doesn't get flustered, he doesn't get up, he doesn't get down. He's poised. He has that strength to be above it all. Now where does someone develop this from? And this is important. Where does a person develop the concept and the ability to have that strength to be able to be clear that, that people can tell and see on your face that you don't get taken by the moment, that you answer to something greater, that you have, you have values and you have ideals that are not just $5 doesn't change it, $50 doesn't change it, and $50 million doesn't either change it. Where do you get that strength from? And I'll tell you where you should get it from. And that's where Yosef got it from. And that is his father. You're supposed to get this from your father. Think about your father for a minute. And most of your father, you think about it, your father has that strength. The Pasuk says that one of the Roman women, women in the back, there are still chairs in the front. I'm sorry, there's plenty of chairs in the front. Good seat right here. By the way, I am very scary. There's nothing. Look at it. No one wants to sit. You have guts, it must be. <laughs> They'll come up, but no one's coming here. doesn't matter. They'll go. They'll move 48 people. No one's coming here. Okay. Please, fadda. Really, there's chairs up here in the front. It's fine. No? Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. A Roman woman asked the VOC, he says, it doesn't make any, she said, it doesn't make any sense. How could Yosef be alone in a foreign house and then eventually this woman tries to tempt him. She's alone in the house. She tries to tempt him. She tries to grab him. How is it possible that Yosef was able to be above it all? So the Midrash tells us the famous answer is that Yosef had, when he was about to sin, Yosef had, Yosef had an image in his mind of his father. And his father appeared to him and said, one day you're supposed to be on the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol and if you withstand this test, you'll make it. If you don't, you won't. What was that? That image of his father in a faraway place, in a faraway country, the thought of seeing his father and seeing how we, what his father stood for is what made him be able to have the strength to be above, to be above whatever the situation was he's in. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky comments on this midrash. He says, you see from here that the role of a father is not just to teach a child and not just to talk to the child and spend time for the child, but a father has to be elevated from a child. A father has to be somebody who this child looks up to and sees as a very important person, as a person that's not just involved in every nonsense. father has to be above it. In fact, the rabbis say that a rabbi is supposed to be domel le malach. A rabbi is supposed to be like an angel. You're supposed to look at a rabbi like an angel. This doesn't apply here. But normally, you're supposed to look at a rabbi like an angel. 
Rabbi Yaakov says the same thing should apply to your father. Your father should be to you like an angel. He shouldn't be someone who just does everything and is involved in anything. You know, there's a big debate that most married couples have. How much should a husband help in the house? Do I have a vote? I'm not asking. But how much should a husband help in a house? And you know, I think that back in the day, 30, 40 years ago, most of the husbands didn't do that much. Is that accurate? Most men, 60, 70 years old, they ate dinner, they got up from the table, the plate stays there. No, right or wrong? Am I, is this accurate or is it not accurate? I'm taking a poll here. Am I right or wrong? I'm right. Most of the younger husbands, right, most of the men in their 30s and their 20s do a lot more, right? No, they, they help out the kids on Sundays, Friday, I don't know what, the baby. Right, am I right? Am I, is this a fair poll? Accurate poll? The younger husbands do a lot more. Like you can't believe that your son does. Your husband never, ever did this. Right? He doesn't even know his kid's birthdays. Your son is all involved. He has the birthday cap on and he's in the birthday party. There's different things. Nowadays, it's different. And it's all cute and it's all good. And the truth is we probably need more husband's help nowadays because maybe there's more pressure. People have more jobs. I don't know what. It's needed more. But at the same time, with all that happening, you have a responsibility to make sure that your husband still has that image in your child's mind. That even with the birthday and whatever they're doing on Sunday and Monday and Saturday and whatever, that this husband still, the man of the house, still has that image of not being flustered by everything, of not being involved in every nonsense. I don't know if every father has to be on the floor with his kids and playing games all the time. And, and I'm one that gets involved with the kids. I'm not one that I, they come home, daddy, and they get excited. And we, but I don't know if the father has to be has that same, the role of a father is partly, and the role of a wife is to make sure that her husband has this stature in the child's eyes. That the father is an image that in five years from now, in 25 years from now, that wherever your child is, they think of their father and they say, I can't do that. My father wouldn't get flustered by this. My father would know how to handle this. And if a kid doesn't have a father, they should have somebody who's involved in their life that they can look at like that. Says of Yaakov, Yosef HaSadiq was able to have the strength because his father had that image in his mind. You know, there's a famous saying. You know the famous saying Mark Twain said? You ever heard this one? He says, when I was 14, my father was so dumb that I couldn't even handle having the old man around. He says, by the time I became 21... He says, my father got very smart in seven years. In other words, the older he became, the smarter his father became. And he started to appreciate what is the, the image of what his father was about. I'll tell you a story. There was a story about a rabbi named Didvaz. Didvaz was a, passed away in the early 1900s. He lived in Israel in Safat. Anyhow, he came into shul one day. And there was a small group of people in the shul, and he was sitting in the front. He says, I have to be Hazan today. Today is my father's yard site. No problem. He comes to the front, and before he starts, he sits there on the thing, and his, his people, his eyes are closed, and he starts to tear up. So his few students come over and say, Rabbi, what's the problem? He says, Today's my father's yard site. It's your father's yard site. When did he pass away? Many years ago. How old was he when he passed away? In his 80s. He said, You know. 
passed away in his 80s, passed away many years ago. I mean, why? What's? It's not that emotional. I know it's your side. It's a beautiful thing. But he says, let me tell you the story. He says, back when I was in, we lived in Russia when I was a child. And my father, my parents used to have a, what they would do is they would get a room, they would, I would go and I was, I guess I did pretty well in school. So my parents would have me, someone to learn with me extra. And I'd have a private rabbi to learn with me and study with me every day. And my father had this job that his job was he would build furnaces for people in Russia to warm up, to warm their homes and so on. And he would make money from it and that's what his job. One winter, there was no plaster and there were no bricks and there was absolutely no access to any of this stuff in Russia. So my father basically was making no money. And I was still going to this teacher for one month, two months. After three months, the teacher hadn't gotten paid. And one day he sent a letter home to my parents. And the letter said, I'm sorry, I love teaching your son. He's a great boy, but I haven't gotten paid in three months. I'm sorry, if, he's not, if I'm not paid tomorrow, I can't continue. He says, I remember watching my parents. They were in the kitchen, and they read this letter, and they were debating. They were going back and forth what to do. And my father was crying, and he didn't know what to do. He says, and that night my father went out to shul to pray. And then he came home, and he told my mother something. And I didn't hear exactly what he said. And then a little while later I caught what had happened. There was someone in shul who said, wealthy, wealthy person, whose son was getting married, and he needed a furnace in his son's home. And my father and my mother decided that since that my father's going, and the wealthy man, excuse me, offered that whoever would build a furnace in his home, he'd pay the man six ruble. My father went into the kitchen and slowly started to take apart our furnace. Brick by brick, took apart everything that was inside. He piled it on something. He, got, he went down the block, a few blocks away, and he built this man's furnace in his home. He got paid six ruble. The next day... I came back to the, with my rabbi and I gave him a little note. And the note said, here is six rubles. Three for the past three months and three for the next three months. And he says, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here right now and I'm remembering my mother and my father in the kitchen all winter, freezing cold, sitting there with covers around them just to be able to, to handle the cold Russian winter just so I can study. That image is in my mind. That's why I'm crying. That image has to be in every one of our minds. Our father has to be someone who's not just one of us, but a little above us. And it has to be someone that our children look at and look at their father and say, you know what, he has an image of somebody who doesn't just get taken by every moment, who isn't fooled or doesn't sketch or doesn't play games. He's a person who has a higher level than that. You know, there was once someone, to show you an example of how... Yaakov Avinu maybe displayed this to his son. And you know, what's beautiful about these parashiyot is there's so many small things and even a small statement from the Chachamim that has like such a powerful meaning. The rabbis say that Yaakov Avinu came to Lavan's house with no money. The Pasuk says he had nothing with him. Why did he have no money? Why did he have no money? So there's a small midrash that says this, Aesav sent his son Eliphaz to go after Yaakov, to go kill him. And his son caught Yaakov before he arrived in Lavan's house. This is years back. Before he arrived in Lavan's house, 
And he came to him, he said, my father said I should kill you. He says, he says I don't want to kill you. And he says, I'm close to you, I don't want to kill you. He says, but Yaakov Avinu said, you know, you, it's good you're not killing me. But what are you going to do about the fact that your father told you, gave you instructions, and you have to listen to those instructions. So he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you all my money. So I'm going to become a poor person. And a poor person is like a dead person. So you'll have listened to your father. You understand what this means? This means Yaakov Avinu gave everything he had so that somebody else should be able to keep his mitzvah. That's the image Yosef has in his head. It's that kind of person. Do our children have that image? You know, I once read a story of a man who went to a little miniature golf place and he paid, and the guy, he said, how much does it cost? He said, of course, uh, anyone who's six and above cost six dollars. Anyone under six is free. So he said, okay, so you have two sons there. How old are they? He says, one is six and the other one is seven. So the man said, this story happened years back. The man said, you're like wealthy? You just... You could have easily told me that the other one is the older one is six, and I would have believed you're fine. The younger one is five, and I could have given you could have paid only three dollars. Why'd you say both? He says, "You're right. I could have told you that, and you wouldn't know the difference, but they would have." And that's why I told you their true age. Well, a lot of us do this. We play around, we sketch, we lie, we fool around in front of our children. I once heard another story that there was a father went on a bus, and the fee on the bus you had to pay if you were five dollars if you were five years old. So the father had a son who was five years old. So he tells his son, when we go on the bus, just tell the guy that you're four years old. Yeah, 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 no problem. Go on the bus, tell the guy you're four years old, it's free this way. No problem. Bus stops, father gets on, kid gets on, and the, father, the bus driver says, okay, how old is his son? He's always four years old. He's young man, really, how old are you? Yeah, I'm four years old. He says, young man, wow, you look big for four. When are you going to turn five? He says, when I get off the bus. <laughs> But that, we have to be able to instill in ourselves and instill in our children and people around us have to be able to see that we are above what just happens today. That we're above and we put that image in our children that we are people that have certain ideals and we are people that live to a higher standard, that we are people that answer Hashem Itor, that we answer to God, we don't answer to what's happening today, to the $5 that we can save, or the $100 that we can save. We're not people that change with the times, we're not people that change with what's happening around us. We're people that retain that same high moral standard, that same stature, that same poise. Pasuk says, the Kliyakar explains, that it says, Vayi Hashem et Yosef, it says, Vayi and Vayi three times. So he says that what happened was is that there were three levels to Yosef's ascent. There were three levels to his rise. First, Hashem blessed him himself. Then, Hashem blessed Potiphar, his master, along with Yosef. And eventually, Hashem blessed the entire house of Potiphar because of Yosef. And he says, that's why the Pasuk says, Vayihi three times. Vayihi Hashem with Yosef, first God was with Yosef. Vayihi Ish Masliach, and then the man, the master of the house became successful because of Yosef. 
and then Vahi Bevet Adonava Misri, and then he was in the house of the master, and he was controlled the entire, he was able to be, Hashem took care of him, even in the entire house. First he took care of Yosef, then he made the master successful because of Yosef, and then he took care of the whole house based on Yosef. And he says, if you look at the Pesukim, Yosef had that ability again. He was above it all. And so Yosef had the strength that first the blessing applied to him, and then the blessing spread to people around him, and then the blessing spread to the whole home that he was in. Because he wasn't a person. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his dollar. It wasn't about what he made today. He was a person that was, once again, above it all. A person who had strength to say, the Biracha happens to me, the Biracha happens to you, and the Biracha happens to all of us. We often are around, and you know, we are a very close-knit community, and we love each other. And we love our community. And because of that, sometimes we could be in places and be totally oblivious to the fact that there's anyone else there. And oblivious to the fact that there's anyone listening, that there's anyone watching, that there's anyone paying attention. And you have people sitting in a store or in a beauty parlor or in a barber, and they're just sitting and they're talking to their friend about everything. Oh, you know, Thanksgiving is coming. I'm flying to Florida. I'm not going here. I'm going to go to Puerto Vida. I'm going to send my maid. My son is going to drive his Mercedes. And I'm going to send the maid there. And this Chinese woman was making $7 an hour listening to the whole thing. And I'm going to stop off at, you know, I, on Monday I have to go to Saks because I have to buy a pocketbook for $3,000. But I'm not sure. Maybe it's not a good one. It doesn't have the right buckle. My husband doesn't mind. He says I can spend whatever I want. And here's this Chinese woman listening to you, like I said, making 8000 now, and then you get to the register, and she says, you know, but it's, she said, what do you mean? It's costing $17, the coupon says 14 and how can I be paying that? Now, you, if you're a person, you can't, you can't be oblivious to the people around you, your sales hatzlacha, and your sales success, and your sales biracha apply to him, it applied to the master of his house, it applied to the whole house. And that it wasn't just Biracha. Well, there's a lot of people that are saying it's true what I just said. <laughs> it's not good. It's true. We're just totally oblivious. We just sit there and talk about it. And we think that just our friends are here. And we walk in with the shoes and the pocketbooks and the whole thing. I think they don't. They're paying attention. Okay? And, and we, Yosef, had this ability that the Biracha that happened to him was he got blessed. His master got blessed. And the whole house got blessed because of him. That it wasn't just me. It wasn't just about me. Can a person see you and see that it's not just about you? Can a person who's dealing with you see that you don't get frustrated, you don't get crazy, and you don't mind if you lose something a little bit or if you get hurt a little bit? It's not only about yourself. Once a rabbi told me a story this week. He says there was a rabbi in an office somewhere and he heard three wealthy businessmen talking. And their conversation was, how do you want to go? How do you want to leave this world? How do you want to pass away? So the first man said, when I go, I want to be in my bed, sleeping in the middle of the night, comfortable. That's how I'd like to leave this world. Okay, very nice, makes sense. The second man said, no, I'd like to go on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. I like that to be the last day. That's how I'd like to go. Okay. The third man says, no, no, no. I, when I go, I want to be sitting at my desk in my office. So the rabbi's there. He says, 
what kind of thing is that? I mean, like, that's what kind of person? That's what he says. I'll tell you why. He says, because when I go, I want my chair and my desk to testify before God how I did my business and how I dealt with people and how I treated people and how honest I was in this office. My greatest witnesses is going to be my chair and my desk. That's how I want to go. Can we say that? That it's outside. It's what people see in us. That people see us like they see yourself. Do people see that image? Do people see a person and a people that have that are not taken by a dollar? That are not about sketching and playing and lying and fooling? You know, I have someone I work with, and I shouldn't admit this, but the person will tell me, oh, you know, let's just say this to the people. Or let's... You know, we, could, we don't have to tell them exactly what happened here. Or, you know, these people don't care. It doesn't matter. You could sketch a little over here. I said, you know what? If you're lying to him, and you're lying to her, and you're lying to them, you're probably also lying to me. You just haven't told me yet, but I'm going to find out soon in some way that you're fooling me. If that's how you treat, do people see how you treat other people? Do they see in you the poise that they saw in yourself? Do they see in you someone who answers to a higher order? Now, not necessarily. If they see that, they're going to love you for it. And this is the reality of being part of our people. As you know, it says how eventually Yosef was the king of Egypt, and then he passed away. And Moshe Rabbeinu takes Yosef out of Egypt. Okay, and he takes the bones of Yosef out of Egypt. Our rabbis asked the question, how did your, your Moshe Rabbeinu know where Yosef was buried? So there are two very interesting ways. That where was Yosef? Do you know where Yosef was? Where were the bones of Yosef for the whole decades that the Jewish people were in Egypt? Where was he buried? So there's two explanations. One opinion is, that he was buried in the Nile, and nobody knew, besides a woman who lived very long, Serah Bat Asher, Serah, the daughter of Asher, the woman who would eventually reveal to Yaakov that Yosef was alive, that woman was blessed to live a very long life, and she was the only one who knew the secret of where Yosef was hidden. And so, she came, and she told Moshe, this is where Yosef is buried, go get him. And Yosef, Moshe had some way of getting Moshe's bones to rise from the Nile. There's another explanation. That what happened is that they buried Yosef in the royal burial and he was surrounded by dogs. And he was in this golden casket or a golden tomb surrounded by dogs and the dogs would yell across the entire Egypt until Moshe Rabbeinu came along and was able to quiet the dogs to get the coffin of Yosef. Did you ever hear this one? I've heard this. This is what our rabbis tell us, these two explanations. What, why did they think that, what did they, why was it, what's the difference, why was he either buried in the Nile or buried behind dogs? What's it trying to say? So it's so a nice explanation. It says, you know what the Egyptians did? Is that they wanted, they got so nervous because Yosef was so great and Yosef was so pious and Yosef was so virtuous that they couldn't handle him. And so what they did was, the rabbis knew that it must be that they did something to wipe out Yosef. Either 
They dropped him in the bottom of the Nile so you'll never hear from him ever again. You have no idea where he is. Or they put him in a place where they surrounded him with gold to make it seem like Yosef was only about gold. And Yosef was all about money. And the dogs that were barking were sort of to show people that this is a bad person and a bad place. The rabbis understood that even with what Yosef did, it doesn't mean that people don't want to find a way to put him down or to put down what he did. And so here's Yosef, the great Yosef, a man who lived his whole life in Egypt, did everything for the people, helped the people, saved the people, saved the whole country, basically. But what they do? Either they hit him, or they made him look like he wasn't quite as good as he was. You know, this is something that, this is a reality that we deal with as Jewish people, is that not necessarily, even if we do everything we're supposed to, and even if they see in us everything that we're supposed, they're supposed to see, not necessarily do they like to acknowledge everything that they're supposed to acknowledge. You know, I recently read, so there's like a whole list, and I didn't bring it with me, but there's a whole list of like quotes from different people and different, different world leaders over the past few centuries about the Jewish people. And there's one from Winston Churchill saying that basically the Jewish people brought everything that we have in this world is from the Jewish people. And there's another one from Mark Twain saying how the Jewish people lived through generations. And well, there's a million, there's a lot of quotes. So I read them recently to a group of boys. So one boy says, Rabbi, it's nice. You have like 15 quotes there. There must be thousands of people who don't think that way. I said, you're right. But that's because most people don't want to think that way. And they don't really want to think that we are that kind of people. Our job is to make it clear that every time they interact with us, every time someone sees us, every time they hear us, they see a people that answer to a higher calling. Yes, you hold in your hands the water that could put out the fire. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a super powerful businessman. You don't have to be a world leader and a big rabbi. You have to walk into a store and treat the cashier like a human being. You have to walk, treat your neighbor, treat, uh, treat them like a person who doesn't just react to everything. As a person that's not just emotional. Someone who can stand behind someone who stopped at a yellow light and wait for the next light. Have the poise to wait a minute and a half and find a way to survive. To be able to be a person that's above it all. Yosef HaSadiq, you could see it in a minute, that he was sold down by his brothers into a foreign country, in a foreign land with horrible circumstance. And you could see a man who was lived and answered to God. Do you have that? Does your husband teaching your children that? Is the image of your father of someone like that? Are we a people that when someone interacts with us, they say, you know what? They're different. They do hold themselves to a higher standard. Or do they see us talking about a pocketbook and a vacation and money and cars and nonsense and being and sketching and fooling and lying? What do they see when they see you? I'll tell you two stories and we'll end. I made it through. I really wasn't feeling well this morning. I was like, I don't know how I'm doing this. But I think I survived. Uh, I have my, I have, okay, now it's good. Thanksgiving, Magna David's off. By the way, when I lived in Lakewood, I didn't even know when Thanksgiving was. Okay? Now, the pilgrims are my heroes. Thanksgiving, I go off, I can relax, it's great. Turkey, no turkey, it doesn't matter, it's beautiful. Anyhow, so, I'm going to tell you two stories. 
One story took place, there was a few years ago, there was this woman who went to a hospital and she was supposed to have some kind of surgery done on her scalp or something. And she comes racing to the hospital, the surgeon says, Hi ma'am, how are you? Um, you ready for the surgery? She says, yeah. She said, but did you, did you know you washed your hair with that shampoo that we gave you? So my goodness, no I didn't. He says, no, no, no. If you didn't wash your hair, if you didn't use that shampoo, we can't do the surgery. He says, what do, you, what do you mean? So when are we going to do it? We'll wait two months to do it again. No, no, you can't wait two months. This is like a... So the nurse like sees how nervous she is. So listen, there's a local pharmacy. Probably they have the shampoo. If you go to the pharmacy, you get it done. We could have the surgery. We could do the surgery in an hour. She races out of the hospital. Races to the pharmacy. Shows up at the pharmacy and sure enough, the person, it's late at night. They're closing the door, and they're locking up. You know, half the lights are closed. So she starts knocking on the door, and you know, the guy behind the counter, they don't care. They don't need money after 8 o'clock, 8.01, it's over. So she's looking at the, through the door, and she's knocking on the door, and the guy just totally oblivious. Finally, she's like banging on the door. The man finally comes to her and says, Sir, ma'am, what would what, what, you what, please? He said, no, you don't understand. I'm about to get a surgery, and I need this special shampoo. I don't want to bother you. All I need is this shampoo. Just give me the one shampoo. I don't have to come in. It's no big deal. Please, just, I need this. Do you understand? I have to wait two months. It's terrible. He says, ma'am, I'd love to help you, but I, the, the drawers, the, you know, the registers are closed. We can't give it to you. There's nothing I can do. He says, but, sir, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I have no other choice. He says, okay, listen, I'll go get it. It costs $27. I'm giving it to you. He said, listen, if you can, come back tomorrow and pay. And if you don't, it'll come out of my salary. It's okay. It's a very extreme circumstance. I understand. Thank you so much. Thank you. So don't worry. Tomorrow I'm going to come. Don't worry about it. Next day, she gets the surgery. Thank God she gets the surgery. Next day, husband goes looking for the store. The store, there's a, it has, it's, it's a chain store. So he goes to a store that's like, the next one in town, not that one. He comes into the store. He says, can I pay for something in this store, for something I bought in another store? I said, yeah, no problem. What is it? So he says, he says, you know, my wife last night, she bought shampoo and I owe you $27. I'd like to pay you $27. So the cashier goes, Jack, get over here. You owe me 50 bucks. What are you talking about? He sees the conversation. They had made a bet whether the husband is going to come back to pay or not. So Jack comes in, he says, I'll pay you the 50, but it's not fair. Had I known it was one of these people, I wouldn't have made the bet. Tell you one more story? There was a, a person went to the post office to buy stamps, and he wanted to buy $200 worth of stamps. Accidentally, the cashier gave him $2,000 worth of stamps. He didn't realize. He went home. And in the middle, as he's home, he realizes he's got way more. So the next day, he comes running back to the office, to the post office. He says, I'm sorry, sir. You know, I paid. He says, oh, don't worry about it. The, cast, the guy who's, who did it, he's in the back. Let me call him. The guy from the back comes in. He says, oh, thank you. You don't understand. I just, they just caught me on it. And they saw that I had given you $1,800 more than I did. They were basically going to take it out of my salary. And I was told, and they had told me I made a payment plan that was going to take over a year to pay. He says, I didn't know what to do. 
But as I didn't remember the face of the person who I had given it to, I just remembered what he was wearing. And I kept saying to myself, if anyone's coming back, it's one of you guys. We have, deep down, a lot of people know what we are. We have to make sure that we prove it every single day. We have to show people around us that we do answer to a higher standard, that we are careful in thinking about what they are, and that our biracha is not ours, but it's a biracha that could spread to others too. That we're vayahi and vayahi, vayahi, whether we're poor people a hundred years ago, or whether we're very wealthy, or something in between, or frustrated or angry, we're the same people because we don't answer to the situation. We answer to a higher order. We should make sure that our home, our children see this in our family and especially in our husband as a person who doesn't just get taken by anything. So that years later, they'll be able to look at us and consider us one of you people. Thank you.